you know, when you're a contractor too, there's that pressure to make sure you're performing every single day because it's not the same as being an employee. So I was doing that. Then on my days off, I'd be hoping and praying that the kids would have a long nap so I could get some work done. And then we were packing orders at night. So my husband would come home after his massive day. We'd both, you know, feed and bath and get the kids to bed. And then we'd be out in the garage packing orders. Hello and welcome to Smart Online Marketing, where I chat to switched on entrepreneurs and experts to chat about smart strategies to build your business in a profitable and sustainable way. My name is Katie Griffin and I am in the digital marketing game. I specialize in Google ads and I've worked one-on-one with clients such as Showpost, Homemaker Law and Snuggle Honey Kids. And I also have my own course teaching small businesses how to grow profitably using Google ads. If we haven't met before, I'm a kombucha-loving Real Housewives apologist alongside my love of all things pop culture. And yes, that does include the Kardashians. I'm a mum of two, a self-confessed hippie at heart with a love of all things business. Hello, I have such a treat for you today. I have the amazing Steph who owns, she actually owns two businesses. She dropped that bomb on me during the interview. I thought she only had one, but she owns Lunch Punch and also Montico, which we talk about most Montico during this episode. And I was just blown away by everything that Steph brought to the table. She started business. She was working as a business analyst when she had young kids and or when she had one, one kid and then she was on maternity leave with her second baby and she was deciding whether she wanted to go back to work or not and like a lot of people that I interviewed on the podcast it was just going to be too hard logistically so she decided to first of all buy a business um, in the e-com space which was Lunch Punch and then start her own business and we talk about so much in this episode the businesses are only well she's only had the businesses for between three and four years and now from going from working when the kids were napping and you know doing a little bit of stuff at night, packing orders at night with her husband. They now have two warehouses and nine staff and are stocked both nationally in Australia and also internationally. And I really wanted to understand how she did all this. And she was so generous with her time. She also walked me through the impact, the devastating impact that COVID had on her business and the supply chain there. So I think you are going to love this episode. Please have a listen and enjoy. Steph, thank you so much for joining me today. No worries. I, I was like just I be thanking you, to be honest. Thanks. Oh for the God, no, <laughs> no. I'm so excited to talk to you. I was just saying to you before we got started, you're in Brisbane, and I was reading um, a little bit of background about you, and I'm like so excited to talk to you about everything you've done. So, I want you to tell people you own Montico. Is it? Do you pronounce it Montico? Yeah, or, okay. I do. I do. Yeah. So you own Montico, and can you tell people what Montico is, and um, yeah, what you're all about? Yeah, so we make rad reusable products for families. So we we started with drink bottles, we added lunch bags, and now we have a pretty decent range of products like smoothie cups and coffee cups. Um, Yeah, so I, I started that because I found that the reusable products were either quite plain um but they really worked or they looked really pretty um but they didn't work and so I wanted ours to kind of sit in the middle yeah, yeah. So lots we of fun greens and bright colors yeah. yeah and kind of like you know and work <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you started wanting to go how long have you had the business for now um, in total, I've been in business for four years. I started with the Lunch Punch, which is my other brand. So Monty's about three years old now. I didn't even know you had another business. Oh, didn't you? No, what's that all about? 
Well, it's technically one business, but yeah, we have a second brand, which is the Lunch Punch. So we make sandwich cutters and fun bento goodies for inside the lunchbox, basically. Okay. Well, all right. Yeah. Well, that's just another, <laughs> a whole nother thing. So you started off, you have an IT background, which I think probably would have given you a bit of a leg up in terms of just getting you, I think when people start a business, it's a lot of the tech stuff that can be really confusing, like yeah. setting up a website and it's, it's all good to have like a creative idea, but then to actually start, you kind of need to bootstrap a lot at the start usually like get yeah, your you're dirty. everything. <laughs> yes, like you're the IT person and yes. you're the customer service person until yep. you can get to the point where you can afford to kind of delegate that off. So can you tell me a bit about your background before you had your business and why you decided to transition and start your own thing? Yep. So I worked as a business analyst and a scrum master, which is basically a team leader for agile software development teams. Um, So I worked for a couple of big um, tech companies and uh, I guess my motivation to start working for myself really came around the fact that there's not, not much IT work here on the Gold Coast. So I was commuting to Brisbane mm. and basically by the time you drive to the train, get the train, walk at the other end, it was taking nearly two hours. It becomes so, like a 12 hour day. Yeah. And I kind of made that work with one baby. <laughs> and then when I had my second, I was like, this is not going to work. It just, you know, both of us were doing that commute. My husband's also in IT, different kind of IT, but we're both nerds. <laughs> <laughs> so he was doing that commute and, you know, I just couldn't find anything on the coast and I wanted to be part-time. And um, yeah, so I just decided to have a go at starting something for myself. I think women hit that crisis point um, when I I remember for me, it was a similar situation where I was, uh, I had one baby and that's still tricky, but it's doable, right? You can kind of, the logistics, you can make it work. My fear was like, how do I do this with two? But then how do I do this with school hours? Because childcare hours are quite friendly. Like they're, even though you don't necessarily want to have your kid in from six till six. You can if you want to. Yeah. Exactly. Like if you're yeah. stuck at the office and you're working back late, you're like, I do, I'm not paying any extra. And I also have that, I, they're already booked in. I don't have to worry about after school care. I don't have to worry about before school care. Yeah. And then I started to think like, okay, so let me just think about my daughter was about, you know, three at the time I've got, I'm pregnant with my second and my commute is about an hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes. So what, she goes to school at nine. I then get to the office at 10 30. And then do <laughs> yeah. I leave at like what 1 30 to come pick up at three? <laughs> yeah. like it was like a three hour work yeah. day. It doesn't work. Yeah. No. Well, for me, it didn't work. <laughs> no. And so I was kind of like thinking, okay, well, she's going to go to school in a couple of years. How the hell do I make this work? And how it reached this point where I was like, how does anyone make this work? Like, what, how does, how do people make this work? And um, I think there's still a long way to go. But before, and I hope COVID has changed some of this a little bit with the flexibility. I think it's proved that people can work from home. It really has. Yeah. Actually, my my husband is working from home now. And so up until COVID, he'd never really done a school drop-off or a school pickup for this exact same reason. And now we're pretty much 50-50, which is amazing. And it's such a, such a load off your shoulders as the primary parent as well. And I think that, um, I think that hopefully the positive out of COVID will be that workplaces, I think the whole thing was like, well, we don't, we don't have any way of tracking what people are doing and, and now we've been forced to enter that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I hope it's a positive shift for working mothers. 
And really quickly too, like it feels like if somebody had said, you know, let's phase in all these systems, the businesses would have come back and said, okay, yeah, but it's going to take a couple of years and we've got to risk it, do a risk analysis and blah, blah. But we just had to react quickly. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, a lot of the women that I speak to that are parents on on the podcast, they have the similar thing. They've had one child and they realize I can't do this with more than one kid and what something's going to have to sacrifice. And um, yeah. I mean, then the whole other thing is you start your business and you, you're busy sort of thing, but at least it's on your own terms. That's true. And I was in denial too. Like when I start, I didn't realise that um, I thought you could just have a, I could just have a little hobby that I did for a yeah. couple of hours when the kids napped. But I've always been a really hard worker. I've always mm. been a perfectionist and I can't do like half do things. I know. I know. Yeah. I feel the same way. And I remember when I was thinking about starting this business and I said to my husband, like, it would be so easy. I'll just work. And yeah. like I knew in my own head, cause I'm such a obsessive person when it comes to doing things well. Like I want to, I go full in where, whether it be work or parenting, you know, I do, I try and give my all. <laughs> and like, my husband's like, okay, just chill out a little bit. But he was like, you do realize that there's no, you're not just going to be able to switch on, switch off kind of thing. Yeah. And that is one of the real challenging aspects of it. But so did you have that conversation with your partner as well and say, you know, I want to start this business. Were there any concerns about going from a full-time or part-time paid employment to then your own thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, so what I managed to do was pick up a contract role on the Gold Coast um, just, and it was three days a week still working in IT and that kind of helped us bridge that gap. So it gave, yeah. me, gave me a couple of days a week solid days to work on the business, although I did have the kids at home those days. So, you know. Um, and and sorry, then- how old were, you, were your kids at this point? I had one, when I first started um, the business, I had one that was 10 months old and wow. one that was nearly three. So yeah. Young I was kids. just due to return to maternity leave um, in my other job when we uh, decided not to go back. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had a contract role and to be honest, that nearly broke me, like mm. trying to work that job. And, you know, when you're a contractor too, there's that pressure to make sure you're performing every single day because um, it's not the same as being an employee. So I was doing that. Then on my days off, I'd be hoping and praying that the kids would have a long nap so I could get some work done. And then we were packing orders at night. So my husband would come home after his massive day. We'd both, you know, feed and bath and get the kids to bed. And then we'd be out in the garage packing orders after, which was really hard. And it also meant that we made, you know, packing mistakes, which makes more work. And it just, it really did just get to a breaking point where, um, we were like, one thing has to go. So yeah, we have to go all in, in the, in the business or just go back to, you know, doing the IT contracting. Cause it's, it's just not possible to juggle everything. Yeah. But like you said, bootstrapping at that point, I had no choice. So that was kind of how we were funding the business to get it to grow. And yeah, just got to the point where in actually I had been saying to my husband, I can't do both. And I want to quit the job. I can't, I really can't do this for ages. And he was like, will you just do it? (laughs) I'm tired of hearing about it. Um, He was always really supportive of that. And it was the best thing I ever did because once I was dedicated to the business, it just really took off. Yeah. And I think it's, um, you know, it's so challenging and, and you have to kind of go through that real, whether it's six months or a year, a lot, like I went through the same period and started this business when my, when my first was about eight months. And I remember I didn't have her in daycare yet. Cause I still wanted to be call myself a full-time mom. And I still wanted to, 
sorry, it was like she would go down for a nap and I'd either punch out half an hour or two hours. I didn't know how much time I was going to get. I felt yeah. like I was always on the run, like frazzled. It would be like she would nap, I'd work. She'd wake up, I'd mum. Matt would get home, I'd work. You know, it was like this real stop start and it can, it, it makes you really frazzled and there's no, yeah. So I, I feel like once I actually gave myself that time to have dedicated days where she went to daycare, I had my work time, it, it was a lot easier. But it is, it's so challenging to do at the start because you're trying to establish whether it's a viable idea, first of all. That's it. Yeah, you've got to test it first, don't you? And, and you know, have enough faith that it's going to work out before you make that jump. So, yeah, that I mean, that time is hard, but it's necessary. Mm. Yeah. Well, so you've gone through this period and you're now, like you, you say, you, you're working during nap time, you've got this other contracting role. What happens once you leave the contracting and you start going full-time into your business? Like what, what's the change that happens there? Um, I think just having more focus and not having everything be an afterthought really made a difference. Um, financially, it wasn't just deciding to leave the job. I guess it was deciding to go all in. So we basically pulled any money that we had access to, which wasn't a lot, um, you know, borrowed some money from my mum. We sold both our cars and downsized that and, you know, used a personal credit card and we basically just spent all of that money on stock. Wow. And then, um, yeah, I had to I had to sell it I guess yeah. by throwing every single thing that we had into it I just knew that um it was not negotiable for me I had to just work at it and um yeah we got really lucky I think we had a lot of support from it was the wholesalers actually the wholesale customers like the stockists that really gave us the boost because you know we're, we're a little brand that's not established, and um, we started out getting into the bento bars, which is a local store on the Gold Coast, and then other stores kind of see that, and um, it it just took off from there. So that their audience, I guess, became our audience. They mm. they all already had established followings, and were out there promoting our products. So um, that was a really huge help. And it was key to how we grew. So the first thing, well, actually one thing that I want to ask, what was the plan if it didn't work, if you couldn't move the stock, you've put a lot of personal money into it. Was that a stress that you had yes. on like, cause that's, a, it's not as easy with a service-based business. You don't need to invest in physical inventory. Whereas with yeah. a product-based business, you actually have to lay out something at the start. So I didn't really have any um, capital that I had to, put out out front right whereas you you have to when you have a stock-based business we did, yeah it you know what I think I was a bit naive because I didn't have a plan like I just i I was just sure that it was going to work and it didn't initially really so, yeah it didn't we had um so I started working on the lunch bags which is kind of the core feature the core product in our range I started working on that one first but it took nearly 18 months to get those to market wow because um and I just completely underestimated how many revisions we'd go through before it was perfect and I felt like we had one chance to release something and it had to be good so I wasn't willing to put it out earlier um, so the drink bottles, actually, I started working on them after, but they got released first. 
And like, there's a million drink bottle band mm. brands out there. And I felt like without having the bags as the core product, like it was really hard to get traction just being a drink bottle brand. And, you know, there was days where we had so much stock just sitting in the garage and I was like, I think I've stuffed up here. Like I, um, what, what else can I do? Who can I approach? Like I was sitting on, sitting at my laptop late at night. I was literally stalking people on LinkedIn to find buyers for different stores and messaging them and, um, you know, just working away at that. And I felt like we, we really didn't take off until I did bring the bags to market and just the fact that like you could get a lunch bag and a drink bottle in matching colours and sets and had a bit of a range um, that really helped because stores don't want to buy one product mm. from one supplier. They don't want to buy from 50 different suppliers to get all their products. They want to go to one place and get quite a few things. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't until we, we kind of launched that second round. So you had like a flagship product that you could hang yeah. your hat on and say this is, the, this is what distinguishes us from the other drink bottle manufacturers that are on the market is that we've got kind of like this matching sets and prints and colors and yeah, a bit of a range. Um, but yeah, I definitely did have a couple of months in there where I was like, you know, crap, I think I've really stuffed this up and I've risked so much and it was very stressful. I actually had quite bad anxiety. I'm an anxious Mm. person anyway, but I suffered really bad from anxiety in that time. Um, but, and I, I mean, I still do suffer from anxiety. I think it's just a part of who I am now, but that's kind of when it first came to a head. And I, it did come from having so much riding on that I had to make it a success. And financial stress is a real stress. Like it's, yeah. it's unlike any other stress in that you think about it, it like eats away at you all the time. Yeah. And I think like, I'm an anxious person too. And I, I like to think that the anxious parts of my personality have allowed me to have a really great business. So I try and focus on the positives because if I wasn't an anxious person, I wouldn't be as productive or I wouldn't be as efficient or I wouldn't be as hardworking. So I like to, they're all parts of my anxiety too, that I think I like those parts of my personality. So I don't think you probably would have had a business like you have if you didn't have that aspect too, but it's hard to tell yourself at the time. Yeah. So then, yeah, go on. I was so lucky that my husband is, the complete opposite. He's my very calm, <laughs> is he? Yeah. <laughs> that must just work because he's, um, my husband's Lee, he's really calm and just even. And so I'm like, oh, my God, this is not going to work and what have I done and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> it'll be fine. Like, don't worry. If you've got to go back to IT work, you've got to go back. You know, if it takes us a little while to get back on our feet, it's fine. Like, don't worry about it. You just do what you do and, Yeah. Very, very supportive and very calm. It makes such a big difference. My husband's the same way and I'd be like, what do I do? What do I do? And he's like, don't worry, like I've got a stable job, you know, we'll be fine. Nothing's going to happen. And I think that um, it helps having that sounding board as well. Um, Definitely. Even though they're not directly in, like my husband's not directly in my business, he still has a big role to play just being that like person that I can go to. (laughs) Yes. Which is, you know really helpful we toyed with we've toyed with it over the years of whether he came and worked in the business and I think our relationship works really well being complete opposites but working together I'm not sure yeah. <laughs> because I'm like you know perfectionist and super hard working and overachiever and he's very relaxed and I don't I just don't know 
the dynamic would work. work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we always end up coming back to, no, I think it's better if we just keep it separate and stay married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk before we get to wholesaling, because I find that really interesting that that was something that you did straight away or yep. it seems like you did straight away. But when it comes to, you say it took 18 months to get your product to market with the lunch bags. Was it ever a thought in your mind, like far out, I'll just put this version out because I just need to get something else onto the market? Like what was, how were you able to stay strong in your resolve that you needed to keep sending it back for revisions and you needed to keep to get it right? Or was that you know, tempting I, to just say? It know, is tempting. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think um, having that financial investment in it is a good motivator to make sure it's right. So you know, if I hadn't personally had to put so much money in to make it happen, I might've just brought it out earlier. Um, you know, if there was a little bit less risk, but it kind of felt like I was gambling, gambling on it. Like I was taking everything that we had personally and, and placing a bet. And I wanted to make sure it was a sure bet. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's definitely tempting though. Yeah. I, I'm such an impatient person. I'd be like, fine, let's just get it to market, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then deal with the fallout later. But you said at the start, like the wholesalers that would, were kind of the, um, what helped, helped you get in front of that audience and build that audience. Yeah. But what was it about? Cause I find a lot of econ businesses, they'll go straight just to direct to consumer. Um, what was it about that you knew that you had to actually go the different way and, approach wholesalers and how did you actually do that? I think um, I was lucky because I had the Lunch Punch first. So the Lunch Punch was actually an established brand and I bought it from the previous owner, Kirsten, and she had already established, um, she had stockists already in Australia and so I could see, you know, when I bought Lunch Punch, I bought it with um, quite a bit of stock sitting there and I could see that that stock would kind of just turn over and. Um, I had already built those relationships with Stockus as well. And so it felt like an easy way to get Monty's name out there rather than just starting from scratch, you know, with my Instagram account with two followers. How, yeah. how was I <laughs> going to make that work? Um, and so I guess the good part about knowing that that was the plan right from the start is thinking about those margins because I know that's where other other people who start a brand purely as retail first and then try to add the wholesale on afterwards can run into trouble because you do need to have enough margin there for, um, for your wholesale customers as well. Yeah. I was just, I had, um, I had a, someone talk to my group on my students on pricing. And that's one of the things I find as well is that that people haven't given themselves enough room to budge in that they don't have enough to pop on acquisition costs on top of that or, you know, run paid ads and, um, and everyone wants a discount code and exactly, you know, yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, Shopify fees or payment gateway fees or bags or, you know, there's a lot of, it all adds up little bits. Yeah. And it can be really hard when you don't, don't have any guidance at the start when you're doing that because you think, Oh, I'll just double the price or I'll just put a third on top of the price, especially if you're making your own products as well, when you don't value the time that goes into that too. Yeah. And it's hard to change it afterwards. Yes. Yeah. You can't just go back and say, oh, actually I've rethought my pricing and now it's going to go up 50% like once it's out in the market. So I definitely was lucky that I got to ease into that wholesaling. So do you think purchasing that business ready-made essentially, that that was a huge learning curve for you to be able to then make Monty work? 
Yes, it definitely. Um, and Kirsten, the previous owner, was so generous with her time as well. So I just picked her brain with um, so many questions. So she kind of handed over. So the business wasn't um, wasn't making a huge amount of sales, but it had the established supply chain, as in mm. she had a factory that she'd worked with in China for years. She introduced me to the contact there who would answer any manufacturing questions that I had. And then she had, um, you know, stockists who'd been purchasing from her in Australia. And, you know, some of them needed a little bit of love, um, to get the ball moving again, but just that was invaluable. That's what I felt like I was purchasing more so than, you know, the actual brand itself. It was like that knowledge. Mm. Yeah. How do you actually get into buying a business? Like why did you go down the purchase, purchasing of an established business? What made you go down that path? It was honestly just luck because I was at that point um, trying to work out how I was going to go back to work. I had a friend who, or go back or not go back to work, and I had a friend who owned a business who was buying products from the Lunch Punch. And we went out and, you know, we're having breakfast and I was like, you know, I hate my life. (laughs) How am I going to do this? How am I going to juggle everything? And she's like, look, this might be a bit left field, but would you like to buy a sandwich cutter company? (laughs) Because (laughs) this, uh, a lady that I'm trying to buy products from, she um, doesn't want to do the business anymore. And she's looking to, you know, um, offload it pretty cheap. So basically uh, Kirsten, her kids were older and she wanted to move on to a different um, career and she didn't want the, her brand to just shut down. Mm. She just wanted to pass the baton on to someone and have it continue. So, it, um, yeah, I just feel so lucky because I, I don't feel like I paid anywhere enough for that opportunity, um, but it was what we could afford at the time and, um, and yeah, it was just luck. Yeah, right. That is just conversation happened. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And um, but you kept this, the businesses separate, haven't you? Uh, it's technically one business. So my business name is Westridge Goods, and we have two brands, Monty and Lunch Punch, and then we also wholesale directly under Westridge. So our stockists can log in and purchase both brands at the same time. And I, I think that's helped us too, because like we were saying before, stockists don't want to just buy one product. So you know, we have the the full lunch punch range and now the full Monty range. So depending on the type of store, usually they can find a few things that, you know, that matches what they're after. And okay. So I want to kind of fast forward to now you have, you've gone, you've purchased a business, you've outlet, you've put down money to get stock and you're waiting on your products to get manufactured and whatever. Now you have the two warehouses, nine staff, and you're stocked in 300 stores. So there's got to be a lot that's happened in that period. (laughs) You know, that's, you know, that blows my mind. How, how did you do that? Like, what did, what, what allowed you? I don't know. I feel like I just work consistently really hard at, at continually improving what we're doing. So you know, pretty much as soon as the website's finished, I'm revamping it. As soon as the products are out, I'm like, okay, this is what we could do better or this is a new colour or, you know, how do we serve our stockists better? So I was, I set a goal to be, I want to be the brand that provides the best photos and the best videos to make it really easy for our stockists to sell more of our things. And, you know, so every little part of the business, I guess I'm just pushing to continually improve, like aiming for that perfection, which you can never reach. (laughs) Um, 
but yeah, it's just been a matter of that, I guess, working on each little bit and luck, like has to be something said for, you know, right products, right time. And yeah, like having just the right offer. Cause I think that it'd be a lot harder to get into that market now. Yeah. Probably more saturated getting into yeah. the, the same market. So is your, do you manage all the wholesalers internally or do you have um, people that like third 3PLs or other distribution warehouses and stuff? So for Australia, we do the distribution ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we ship our retail orders and our wholesale orders out of the same warehouse at Upper Coomera on the Gold Coast. And then we have distributors overseas. So basically we sign a contract with them and they have a minimum purchase requirement that they have to meet each year. And then they get exclusivity for our region. Um, so like a New Zealand distributor, um, little delights we work with her ongoing and it it's a great way to work actually because when they have that exclusivity and that ownership over a region they're working really hard to build your brand up in that region as well and um because there's like a couple of you know three to five year term that they get they reap the benefit of of that hard work um so that's worked really well for us as well but how do you actually like if I had a product-based business and was like, okay, I want to get into selling internationally, how do you develop those relationships? Is that, are you responsible for that? Is someone on your team yes. responsible for that? Yeah, it's been me. Um, so I got a couple that came with Launch Punch, uh, which helped because I was able to see how that worked and roughly what the pricing split should be. Um, it was quite informal at that point, as in no real contracts and no minimum spends and that kind of thing. Um, we had a few who just approached us with Monty. Um, now that we're like a bit further down the track, we quite often get emails from people in very far away places. We've got, um, actually just signed someone in Brunei, someone in Kuwait. I love our ladies that we work with in Kuwait, actually. But I actually, our distributor in the UK, who is one of our biggest ones, I found her on LinkedIn. I sat there at night going, we need to get into the UK. I'm getting a lot of emails from people saying that they want to buy our stuff over there. I don't have, the shipping's too expensive. How am I going to make this work? And I started researching distributors for other brands that I felt like their products were complementary to ours. So I found the person who distributed Yumbox, which is a lunchbox. We don't sell lunchboxes. We sell kind of everything but the lunchbox. And I messaged her and said, hey, I see you distribute uh, Yumbox. I'd really like to work with you. This is the products I have now. This is my dream. This is where I think it's going please give us a chance. And yeah, it worked. I sent a lot of emails and they didn't all work, but you know, a couple of them worked. Wow. I I, like, I mean, have you had any guidance when it comes to besides purchasing your business and having some of those contacts already established and seeing kind of what it looks like that supply chain? Have you had any mentorship or anyone that's given you any, I mean, you must look back and be really proud of yourself that you've able to, that you've been able to navigate a really, like it's a really complex situation. You've got two warehouses, you've got staff, yeah. <laughs> you're juggling all these balls when it comes to suppliers and distributors and warehousing and all that sort of stuff. Like are you ever wanting to get that part of the business off your plate? 
Um, I have just recently hired Craig, who were, he's our office manager, and I'm gradually handing over a lot of those day-to-day things to him, which has been great because it was a, it's a lot. Mm, I can it's, imagine. It's a lot and it's um, 24-7 really because even when like our Australian stockists are offline, our internationals are online, or even, you know, our China um our manufacturers, they typically work like in the evening, like right when I'm trying to get the kids to bed, (laughs) they're messaging me saying, where's the sticker for this product? Or does this sample look okay? So I'm trying to manage that has been a bit of a goal for this year. Mm. But yeah, it's, when I look back, I honestly think who was that person that was so brave? Because I don't know know. if I could be that brave now. I don't think I could. (laughs) I think that if someone told you at the start, this is what you'd have to achieve. This is what you'd have to set up. This is what you'd have to figure out. You'd be like, no, I'll just stick to the contracting. (laughs) But I think that you just kind of put one foot in front of the next and suddenly you look back four years down the track, three, four years down the track, and you've built this whole big business, but it's really hard to, um, like my husband, always says when I had my econ business and I was like, and then I ended up selling that and moving to the, the outside of things. I was like, oh, I wasted my time when I was in e-commerce. And he's like, no, because then like that was like doing a full university degree and you don't yeah. realize how much you're learning as you're going. You, you're just figuring things out and you're always just, you know, you can, you've just got this mindset of I can just figure it out. I'll figure it out and I'll deal with the rest later. That's it, um, yeah. And I, you know, the the bit of the business that I'm working on, that changes. So like, you know, I might've had six months there where I was like, right, we need to get more international distributors. And to be honest, my motivation behind that was cash flow because um, a lot of the suppliers have quite high minimum order volumes and I couldn't afford to buy that much stock. So I was like, right, I need someone else who's going to buy some of it so that I can make this work. So I spent that time researching and trying things and trying to figure out, but then, you know, in a couple of months, my focus moves. So like, and then I might be working on marketing. So I'm doing short courses and trying to work out, you know, how to master that part. And I think that having that curiosity and that wanting to learn new things and being willing to just jump in and give it a go, that is crucial to succeeding as a small business. Like you, you can't sit back and go, well, I don't know anything about that. Mm. I can't do it. You have to go, okay, how do I, how do I learn? Where do I find this out? Is there a course I can do or someone I can ask or. And I think when, if you're expecting just to hire people and them to take off your plate, it's like anything you have to, you have to know enough to be able to delegate it effectively. Otherwise you, you're going to be disappointed with the result that they do. Like if you just, if you employed Craig and then said, go figure out how to do international distribution, you kind of need to understand a little bit of it because what if Craig moves on and then that IP is with him and you need to, you need to be across a lot of different things. Yeah. I'm gradually learning that I don't have to understand every single intricate Mm. detail anymore, um, but I have to know enough to be able to see whether it's working or to be able to help if it's not, you know, if if he needs to come to me and say, like, (laughs) we had this conversation a couple of days ago, uh, the Kuwait government has changed the laws around importing products into Kuwait and we now need to do this, 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 this. What do I do? Like, I have to know enough to be able to at least try and help with those areas, even though I have delegated a lot of it. Yeah. Cause you are still ultimately in charge of things. Yeah. 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 Ultimately, you know, the, the risk is on me and yeah, if, if they're unable to, if any of the team are unable to solve it, I, I have to be able to. So how has COVID impacted the supply chain and 
manufacturing and production and that sort of stuff. Has that, has that had an impact on your business? Yes. Yeah. So we actually felt it a bit earlier than, um, than other people in Australia did, I guess. Um, it was almost like a perfect storm for us because last year I spent most of the year working on growing our retail business and I had no idea how successful that work had been until Black Friday. So at Black Friday, which is um, our only sale that we do for the year as a retail business, um, we actually sold all our Christmas and most of our back-to-school stock. And so I hadn't reordered from suppliers. I had no more stock coming and um, we were sold out. So I was urgently trying to get more stock because January is the peak for our business. So selling out in November and having nothing for January is a bit crap and obviously made quite a few of our stockists unhappy. So we were trying really hard to get stock. We had stock in production and then the month of January is Chinese New Year. So the factories are closed anyway. We had a lot of stock that was supposed to be shipping the first week of February as soon as they returned to work and they didn't because of COVID. They had like another six weeks off. And then once they did return, it was at reduced capacity because, you know, obviously the same as here, less people allowed in the same space. A lot of um, the workers in the factory, they often don't live in the same province as the factory. They stay on site in like, um, what are they called? Like a dorm while they're working. And so for Chinese New Year, they had gone home and then similar to here where you can't like come from Victoria to Queensland, the workers couldn't get back to the factory. Oh my God, that sounds so stressful. I know it was. And then once the stock was actually ready, there was no space, shipping space to actually get it over here. So we basically ended up with six months where we had little to no stock. Wow. Yeah, we couldn't, um, we tried air freighting, but the the price of air freight literally went up 30 times as much as what it was before. So it just wasn't viable. Like if we were shipping by air, we were giving the product away. We weren't actually making anything. Yeah, so that all happened. And then we obviously had some lockdown up here in Queensland, nowhere near as long as yours. Um, yeah, so that was a pretty, it felt a pretty scary time when we were at home We had no stock. We didn't know when we could get stock. Um, But we were so, so lucky that once the stock landed, all of our customers came back, as in all of our stockers picked us back up. um, And you can see, actually, I was looking at a dashboard on one of our tools today and you can see a big drop where we had no stock and then a big steep peak back up where it came back in. And um, like that is just, I'm just so grateful. I feel so lucky that that happened because it's easy for people to move on and find a new brand if they get frustrated that you had no stock for that long. And it can be, I know when it comes to your business and um, there's some things you just cannot fix, like yeah. no matter how hard you you tried, you could not fix that problem. I, I tried everything. Yeah. We tried looking at different factories. We tried looking at, could we manufacture here in Australia, but there's lockdowns here or people don't want to talk to us. The manufacturers here want, um, you know, they want such higher production levels as in say our minimum is a thousand pieces in China. It's 10,000 or a hundred thousand to manufacture here. Wow. So it wasn't viable. So every path that I was looking at, um, it just didn't work. So during those six months, what are you doing? Uh, Basically trying to make products that are small and light and can be air freighted, Um, trying to work out how to market the products that we did have in stock and make them a bit more exciting and um, 
yeah, trying to sell to the internationals, those distributors, although we did have a few countries that were quite severely impacted. You know, I had orders that they had placed and I'd already paid the factory and then they pulled out because they were really um, impacted by COVID as well. Yes, I guess just managing as best we could. Wow. Yeah, hoping and praying that the stuff was eventually going to come and it did. So, And then it's it's been relatively smooth sailing since it has been yeah and now I'm like a panicked overbuyer because I'm like that can never happen again that was horrible um we just need to carry a lot more stock than yeah what we did before so does that impact your Black Friday plans like do you have strict protocols on the stock levels that you're going to let go away or do you have yeah yeah yeah, we will so we'll be holding some stock off to make sure that that doesn't happen, which seems silly. Like it feels silly to me um, to be turning away sales. But um, there's when you work in a product-based business, there's always a cap on how much stock you can buy at one time. Like there's no, you know, you buy products, you sell products, you make a bit of money, but then you need to buy more. And then the the amount that you're buying is consistently increasing. So Mm. those bills get bigger to be able to scale. So there's always going to be a cap, I think. And I just am, I have to try and manage that a bit better this year. Yeah. That that just, I would have been like, it's great. You can look back at it now, but that would have been such a stressful period. Yeah. During that time. Yeah. I hate talking money, but I'll, to give you an idea of the growth, in 2018 on Black Friday, we did two orders for Monty. And in 2019 on Black Friday, we did 800. Wow. So there was just no way we could have anticipated. Predicted that, no. No. <laughs> and we we didn't even... We didn't even think. And that was retail growth. That was retail, 800 retail orders. And, yeah, I mean, it was great. I'm so grateful and, you know, we're so lucky that 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 happened and we've got such a great tribe. But, um, yeah, I just had no idea that was coming and, you know, throw in COVID in the mix and it was a bit of a perfect storm to make things pretty hard. Wow. Okay. So you've been so generous with your time and how much you've shared about your business. What is next for both of the businesses? Both. Um, with Mon- Well, Lunch Punch has got a couple of new products coming out towards the end of the year. And for Monty, I'd like to bring out some more lifestyle products. So up until now, we've been very like lunchtime and school and kids focused. And I want to focus on having more things for the mums and the dads. Yes. <laughs> which is fun. So we're trying out and prototyping a lot of things at the moment and working out which of them fit. Um, yeah. That's so exciting. exciting. And then, yeah, for myself personally, I am just trying to focus on marketing and the bits of the business that I like, of freeing myself up to focus on the bits that I think I'm good at and not, not necessarily just good at, but the bits that I enjoy doing. Mm. as well because it got really hard for a while there and I felt like I wasn't enjoying it anymore yeah and you've built a business and you're not necessarily enjoying being in the business because you're doing the tasks that you don't want to do yeah and they well it's also just they don't they didn't fit with my personality type like I've never really wanted to be a manager which probably sounds weird but um so when I worked in IT our business had two streams like if you're if you're striving to move up in your career you could either move up by going into a management role like managing people doing the work or you could move up by being a technical expert 
And I was always wanting to be the technical expert. So I want to be the best at whatever I do, but I don't necessarily have the right personality or the right skills to manage other people. Mm. Yeah. And so as we grew, I found like we've got bloody great staff. There's no issues there, but it just takes time. Yeah. Mm. You know, answering questions and giving direction and all that kind of stuff. And I felt like um, I wasn't loving it because I wanted to be a doer. Yes. Yeah. And so I've kind of freed up some time for myself to do that. And that's what I'm excited about at the moment. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you please tell people where they can shop online for your products or connect with you on social media and that sort of stuff? Yep. So our website is um, monty.co. And if you want to connect with me, I'm mostly hanging out on the Monty Instagram stories. (laughs) That's my favorite. Um, That's where our tribe is. So our Instagram account is monty.co. Amazing. Thank you so much, Steph. No worries. Thank you for having me. Holy moly, how amazing was Steph? I could have just talked to her for so long. I had to cut the interview because I was like, I've been talking to her for so long that I need to kind of wrap this up, but I just could have talked to her for so much longer. She was fantastic and I'm so inspired by her story and what she's managed to accomplish in a relatively short period of time. Make sure you do check her out at Monty Co and give her a follow, buy her products and uh, you know, connect with her and let her know that you enjoyed hearing her on this episode. I am at katiegriffin underscore on Instagram. That's where I hang out the most. If you like this podcast episode, make sure you do subscribe and rate and review so that helps other people find it and just gives me a little bit of an ego boost as well, which is always a good thing. And I will talk to you on the next episode. Bye.